Well, good morning, family. Let's talk about investing. So it was January of 2018 where I was sitting uh, with Kurt Parker, our senior pastor, uh, outside of a Starbucks, go figure. And, uh, and so we were there at Starbucks, and we were just kind of reflecting back on the year. And it was kind of those, one of those annual review type conversations. And, and Kurt said something to the effect of, hey, you're doing a good job. What do you want to talk about? And so, so I went ahead and I said to Kurt, I said, well, Kurt, I think this year I'd like to trust you with my dream. And I went on to explain to Kurt, I said, okay, I know that my, my title here at Harborside, the positional title is associate pastor. And I know a lot of times the assumption is if you're the associate pastor, then one day uh, you'll grow up enough to uh, become a, a senior pastor somewhere, you know, maybe uh, most likely at another church somewhere. And, and I explained to Kurt, I said, even though a lot of times that's the thought, as I've been praying over the last year, my conversations with God's become clearer and clearer to me that I just don't feel called to become a senior pastor. And Kurt's response was, great, we don't lose you. So I was like, all right, I'll take that. That's good. All right, so far, so good. I said, I said but hear me out. I said, I actually feel, I don't, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what to do with this, but I feel this calling to somehow bring biblical principles into secular industries. And, uh, and so as I, as I you know, kind of opened that up, Kurt said, okay, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see where that goes. We'll trust in God's timing. We'll you know, trust what we got to do. And so that, that was kind of the beginning of that conversation. And, and so about a year later, in, in uh, early 2019, I actually started a, a company, uh, a publishing company where we help people get books from their heart actually into their hands. And in the last few years, that publishing company has done very well. And, and I've also in the last couple of years, I've had an opportunity to travel around the country and teach a very high-end leadership course. And so I've got to work with some big organizations and some executives and really uh, talk about how to you know, raise their standard of leadership and leadership within their culture. And, and through these opportunities, through public, owning a publishing company and, and getting to travel and work with executives and talk about leadership, God has opened the door more and more for me to bring biblical principles into secular industries. And for the last few years, I feel as if I've had one leg in vocational ministry. In fact, I've now been in vocational ministry for over 20 years now and, and get to minister and work at a church and, and, uh, and really kind of the non-for-profit sector. And, and at the same time, over the last few years, I felt like I've had another leg uh, over in the world of business and for-profit industry, which has been very stretching and meaningful and, and kind of a, a new mission field in a way. And what I've been learning over the last few years has really just been the same lessons I already learned in ministry, just in business. I, I feel like I keep learning uh, the same lessons over and over. It'd help if I would just, you know, remember them and stick with them. That'd be helpful. And, and, uh, but, but what I've learned is that the principles that work in the non-for-profit ministry world are the same principles that actually work in the for-profit business world. And probably the reason the same principles work, because if you're a Christ follower, then it's all the same kingdom. It's all the kingdom of God. 
And, and what I see in the Bible, what I, what I learn over and over, is that within the kingdom of God, there's really an economy of blessings. In other words, the way that it kind of explains in the Bible, the way we live it out in life is that God is a very loving God, and he pours out blessings among his people with the intention that we would then pour blessings, those blessings out on other people. Not that we would hoard it and keep it to ourselves, that, that God blesses us with the intention that then we would pass those blessings on to other, that others, that that's an economy of blessings, that that's the kingdom of God. That's kind of how it works. And, and so if that's the case, what do we do with the extra blessings? And that's been my question over the last few years. What, God, what, what do I do? You, you, you've blessed me. You continue to bless me. I, I know there's all sorts of opportunities to take what you've given and to put them into other things and do other things, but, but what, what opportunities are within your will? How do I know I, I'm doing what you purposed me to do? How, how do I know that I'm taking those, those extra blessings and, and using them in a way where they actually bless others and in a way that, that is within your will, God? What do I do and what do we do with the extra blessings? Or let me put it this way. What do we do with the extra money? Now, now I know, I, yeah, yeah, I already got some laughter. That's great. That's, that's, right, because I know right away, I've lost several of you right away. You're like, good for you, Tom. You don't know me, all right? I, what do you mean extra money? I don't have extra money. Hang with me. You ever gone on a vacation? Extra money. Do you own a car? Do you own more than one car? Do you have a little house you can park your car into? <laughs> have you ever gone, driven a perfectly good car to a car lot and then drove off with an even better car, newly upgraded? Have you ever walked in a cell phone store with a perfectly good working cell phone, but you walked out with a better cell phone? <laughs> Have you ever walked into a room where you live and said, this totally works, it gives me shelter, but I'd like new carpet, new furniture, maybe new countertops, cabinets. I'd like to upgrade this. And you have extra money. I mean, there's there, there some of us in this room that you have so much extra money that you pay people like accountants and bankers to help you keep track of it. <laughs> extra money. A lot of times, all it takes is a trip to another country to realize we have extra money. Now, now, we don't always see it that way. I mean, a lot of times, we, the last word we would use to describe people or ourselves would be rich. But let me just tell you, let me define rich for you right now. Rich is having more than you need. And every single person in this room and online has been given by God at least a little more than you need. I get it. Some people have a lot more than they need. Some people have a little more than they need, but we're all rich. We just don't always see it that way. You know, when we hear that term extra money, we get locked up because here's what happens. We have at least typically one of two mindsets that creep in often into our mind that, that lock us up. And so let, let's just address them and maybe we can get a little unlocked today when it, when it comes to thinking about extra money and, and the blessings God has poured on us. So, so one of those mindsets that tends to lock us up, I'm just gonna call it a poverty mindset. And what I mean is a poverty mindset is where we start to think that our money controls us. In other words, we have an idea that, that perhaps money is limited, that, that it's uh, scarce. There's not a lot out there. There's definitely not a lot for me. And so it begins to dictate our hope and our happiness. 
And we start to catch ourselves telling other people that, hey, you know, if I win the lottery someday, then I'll be happy. Or, uh, you know, if uh, somebody I don't like but who's wealthy and likes me dies and leaves me a bunch of money, then, you know, that'll work out for me. That, that'll be great. Then I'll be happier. If I just have more money, I'll be happy. We'll say those kind of things out loud. But we kind of know that's not true. We, we know that just if we get more money doesn't mean we're going to be more happy. In fact, I like how Dave Ramsey puts it. He says, if you get more money, you're just going to be more of whatever you are today. All right? So if you're grumpy and miserable, more money, you're just going to be grumpier and more miserable. If you're laid back and, and generous, you get more money, you can be more laid back and generous. If you're just a little crazy right now, More money, more crazy. I mean, that, I mean, come on, Puff Daddy tried to warn us in the 90s, more money, more problems. We sang and danced along, but we did not receive the message, right? We, we, we kind of know this. I mean, statistically, statistically, the more money we get, statistically, the more money we spend. Statistically, the more money we spend, the more we stress over the things we bought with that more money. Here, here's an irony. Statistically, the more money we earn, the more money we borrow. How's that work? We tend to borrow more. Yeah, it, it, because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians or whatever. We're trying to keep up, you know, and, and, and act like we've got more than we've got because we're kind of in this race. And so we tend to borrow. And, and Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The borrower is slave to the lender. And all of a sudden, we start to think, and it creeps in, our money controls us. Poverty mindset. Another one that, that creeps in is a greedy mindset. That's where we think we control our money. I like how Andy Stanley puts it. He says, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. <laughs> greed is the assumption it's all for me. It's all for my consumption, whether that's saving it for me to consume later or now or whatever, but it's the assumption that God gave it to me for me. But the moment you think that you own your money is that moment where your money owns you. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says it to us, and he warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but those who crave the wealth of this world, they slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped in the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed, drowning in their own sinful pleasures. Not only that, they take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. I don't know about you, but that's not a path or a future I want for my life when it comes to wealth and money. So what do we do? What do we do with wealth? What do we do with the desire for wealth? Paul actually continues in this passage in verse 17. He says this, to all the rich, which again, would be everybody in this room. We all have been given at least a little more than we need. Everybody online, to all of us, to all the rich of this world, I command you not to be wrapped in the thoughts of pride over your prosperity or rely on your wealth, for your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead in the one who lavishes upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. What do we do? Starts with trust. We trust that there's a lot of blessing out there and a lot of extra blessing, and that there's a loving God who distributes it. 
with purpose. And so we trust him. Let me just tell you, it's okay to want more from God. But it's got to be equally okay if he doesn't give it to you. You hear me? It's okay to want more, but it's got to be equally okay if you don't get it. Because it's really not about money. It's about the master of the money. I mean, the Pierres kind of talked just about stewardship a couple weeks ago. And you think every parable where Jesus talks about money and people make more money for the master, whenever the master returns in those stories, the money just goes back to the master. Those people don't even get to keep it but they get to celebrate with the master and in their relationship with the master. So it's really not about the money. It's really about the master and our relationship to him. We know that businesses and financial nest eggs don't make it into heaven, but people do. And so what kind of people will we then be? I'll just tell you, I'd like to be wealthy. I'd like to be wealthy. I'd like a lot of resources. I'd like a lot of blessings from God. But just because there's wealth doesn't mean there's kind of health with that. I mean, you, you can be, and we know them, right? There's, there's people who've got a lot of money and they're miserable uh, or they're bitter uh, or they're just jerks. I mean, you know, we, they, they, don't get, they, they have no friends. We know why. They don't know why. They've got all these blind spots, Right. I don't want that. I don't want that kind of wealth. I want what I'm going to call today, I want to be healthy wealthy. Right? I want to be healthy in, in, in who I am and how God created me with, with the blessings and, and to pass them on for other blessings. I want to be like Abraham in the Bible. Right? Where God just kept pouring blessings upon Abraham and Abraham just used them as opportunities to grow closer to God. I want to be like Barnabas in the New Testament, where every time God gifted him, he just used that to keep on gifting others. That's the kind of wealthy I want to be. I want to be healthy, wealthy. And the Bible, it tells us how to be healthy, wealthy, because in order to go from wealthy to healthy, wealthy, you have to have wisdom accompanying the wealth. You got to have wisdom with it. And guess what? The Bible is full of it. The Bible is full of financial and wisdom in order to be healthy, wealthy, and shows us examples of that over and over. And so if I was you, I'd want to hear some of it. I'd want to walk away today with, with some of the wisdom that the Bible gives us in order to be healthy, wealthy. And here's something I could tell you right away. Healthy, wealthy people in the Bible and our observations of the world, the people who do this right, they, they get blessings from God and they don't just save it. They invest what they save. In other words, they, they invest what they save. They, they set it up so that it can create even more blessing down the road, maybe for other people. So that they take God's blessing and they invest it, set it aside in a way that it can create more blessing. And so healthy, wealthy people invest when they save. And the Bible, it gives us some great principles on how to do this within the will of God. And so I'm going to give you what you'll probably enjoy here, and maybe it might be review for some and maybe new for some, and, and, but I'm going to give you seven principles that are, you know it's in God's will because God said it. <laughs> and you know you can set aside your savings and invest it in this way. It's in the will of God, and, and you're doing a good thing, and you're taking those blessings and creating more blessings. But I don't want to stop there. In fact, if you'll hang with me, I have something even better for you. But first, let me give you the seven practical, and then let me share What's even better than that? So let's do it. Number one, healthy, wealthy people invest wages for the winter. 
Proverbs 6 says, when you're feeling lazy, come and learn a lesson from the tale of the tiny ant. You'll see them working and toiling all summer long, stockpiling their food in preparation for winter. And if you keep nodding off and thinking, I'll do it later, or say to yourself, I'll just sit back a while and take it easy. Just watch how the future unfolds. By making excuses, you'll learn what it means to go without. Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and move in as your roommate for life. Now, I don't know if healthy, wealthy people are Game of Thrones fans, but they know that winter is coming, all right? They know that on average, every five to seven months, something unexpected financially is going to happen to us on average. Something's not going to go the way we planned, the way we had hoped. And so, so they're like the ant where they save up. They expect the unexpected. They know that statistically every five to seven years, something major financially is going to happen that we weren't hoping for. Okay? You might lose your job. You might get in a car accident or be hospitalized. But something financially on average every five to seven years is going to happen to us that's going to be you know, pretty significant. And so what healthy, wealthy people do is they save for winter. They work and they set aside for winter so that when that happens, they have an emergency. Fund. They have something to, that won't count against their money. It'll just allow it to continue to grow and won't hang them up. That's what healthy, wealthy people do. Healthy, wealthy people invest what they already have or can afford to lose. Jesus said this in Luke 14, for who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise, he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish The neighbors will ridicule him, saying, look at him. He he started to build, but he couldn't complete it. Healthy, wealthy people tend to kind of think in percentages. And they pick those percentages ahead of time. They'll plan out margin. They know everything's going to cost a little more than it's really going to cost. So they they map that out. And, And do you ever notice that healthy, wealthy people tend to be bold when they invest, when others are fearful? Why? Why are healthy, wealthy people bold when others are fearful and invest? Well, well, one reason is because they're, they're not investing money they don't have. They're investing money they could actually afford to lose. But, but I think there's a bigger answer than that, especially for the, the healthy, wealthy people we see in the kingdom of God. And, and that is, they know and they understand that whatever journey you are in life, fear's coming along for the ride. Fear's coming along. I, I do not believe that faith is the absence of fear. No, faith is moving forward in spite of fear. Fear's coming along for the ride, whatever venture you go into. But you get to decide which place fear gets to have as you go on this ride. I mean, you could put fear in the driver's seat and let it steer your decisions. You could put fear in the passenger seat and let it continually whisper in your ear. Or you can shove fear in the trunk back where it belongs. (laughs) What I've noticed, healthy, wealthy people... They shove fear in the trunk and they put Jesus in the driver's seat and the Holy Spirit in the passenger seat. And they're able to be bold when others are fearful because they have the consult of Christ all around them. Healthy, wealthy people will invest what they know and research. Proverbs 19.2 says, The best way to live is with revelation knowledge, for without it you will grow impatient and run right into error. Healthy, wealthy people know that you learn before you earn. That the more knowledge you have, the less risk is involved. They know that money is cyclical. 
but time is not. And so how you invest your time is actually more important than how you invest your money. And so they will spend time planning, prioritizing, patiently waiting and praying through their investments. Healthy, wealthy people will invest in diversified opportunities. I didn't even know this verse was in there, but it's cool. Wisest man in the land, uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes verse 11, he says, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you may receive a return. Well, what do you do with that return? He says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. See, healthy, wealthy people will take their yield from one investment and invest it back into diversified investments for more yields. They know that while some things may go up, other things might go down. And so as you diversify, it allows for continual growth. They know and they're okay with that only God knows the future. And so they invest wisely and diversifies those investments. Healthy, wealthy people invest over the long term. Proverbs 21.5 says, Brilliant ideas pay off and bring you prosperity, but making hasty Impatient decisions will only lead to financial loss. Healthy, wealthy people avoid get-rich-quick schemes, all right, in advertising. They, they, they reject FOMO, the fear of missing out. They, they are not clicking on those social media ads that start off and say, hey, if you just knew years ago that Amazon was going to blow up, or if you knew that you know, cryptocurrency was going to be a big deal and you invested back then, you'd be a multimillionaire now. Well, let me tell you the newest, greatest thing. They don't even click on those ads, Nah, they, they, they know better than that. They're not trying to get rich quick. They're trying to get rich for sure. And so, so it takes time. It's an investment over the long haul. This is what Proverbs um, 13, 11 says. It says, wealth quickly gained is quickly wasted. Easy come, easy go. But if you gradually gain wealth, you will watch it grow. Do you know that 80% of all lottery winners find themselves off in worse financial situation within 24 months of winning the lottery. 80% of people who win the lottery statistically find themselves worse off financial situation within 24 months of them actually winning the lottery. Why? Because they got the money, but they didn't get the maturity. <laughs> you see, there's many times in my own life where I'm going, God, God, what, you know, here, why won't you just you know, allow and, and, and give to me this blessing that I want? Why, why won't you just pour open the, the gates of heaven and, and, just, and just bless me the way I want? And, and, I, and for many times, I feel like God just saying, hey, Tom, I'm just, I will, but I'm actually waiting for you to just grow up first. <laughs> Look, it's okay to want more from God, but he's probably gonna first want more from you. <laughs> God's, why? Well, because he's a loving father. He's a loving father. He, wants you to, he doesn't want to just give you blessings that you'll throw away. He wants to give you blessings you can handle. And it takes maturity and growth in order to do that. It's over the long term. It, it, in my wife Erica and I, in, in our parenting style, we, we've decided we've we got to do this over and over with our kids. For example, electronic devices. Uh, we didn't just go out and buy the most expensive iPad we could find and, uh, and just leave it with open internet and give it to our five-year-old. <laughs> Say, good luck. Ah, 
If, if we got it, we typically got cheaper devices. We padded them up, you know. We put all sorts of filters and adjustments and parental controls and apps and stuff like that to help protect them so that along the way they could learn, they could make mistakes. We could help guide them through those mistakes. And as they got more mature, could handle more and more, we could, they could actually keep and hold on to the blessings. I can just tell you that when my children turn 16, which is not that far away, um, but when my children turn 16, uh, I'm not buying them a brand new sports car, right? I, I'm going to give them something that can take a, you know, take a little bit of a hit, a ding, a scratch, or whatever. Because if they're anything like their dad, right? I, my first car was a four-door sedan. And by the time I was done with it, only one door opened on it. <laughs> we got to learn, right? We got to grow up. We got to learn some hard lessons. We need something to learn with. And God's that kind of loving father who knows that. And so he often gives us more over time as we mature, as we grow up and can actually hold on to it and keep it. Healthy, wealthy people invest time with other healthy, wealthy people. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, stop fooling yourselves Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. There are studies done where it shows that over 10 years' time, you will average within 10 to 20% of the income of your 10 closest friends. Yeah, I'm not saying you shouldn't hang out with people who aren't like you, but I'd recommend if you want people close in your life, hang out with the kind of people you'd like to be more like. <laughs> Why? Be, be, because you'll develop the same habits, the same, the same diets, the same disciplines, and you'll root each other on. Uh, this is just my own observations, but healthy, wealthy people tend to talk more about the books they're reading than the TV they're watching. Uh, I've noticed that even if I'm turned on TV, if it's not a documentary, I feel a little guilty. You know, like I gotta, gotta be learning something. Don't wanna waste the time. I've noticed that, that healthy, wealthy people tend, tend to be good and are always looking to get better with numbers and with people. I was having lunch the other day with um, a, a guy in our church who's done very well in business, and, and him and I were kind of talking about what we're learning in business, and, and he shared with me, he said, you know, Tom, there's some people who build businesses, and there's some people who build enterprises. The difference between a business and an enterprise a business, you have to be there in order for it to succeed. But an enterprise can go way beyond you. And if you want to build enterprises, you have to continually build your people skills and how to empower people and hand off to other people. Number seven, healthy, wealthy people invest for an ongoing return for future generations. Proverbs 13, 22 says, the benevolent man leaves an inheritance that endures to his children's children. But the wealth of the wicked is treasured up for the righteous. It's okay to pursue wealth for the benefit of others, to create an inheritance for your great-grandchildren. You see, healthy, wealthy people, they ask the question, how can this keep on giving even when I'm gone? How can it bless more and more people? And they invest in a way that, that builds up something that the next generation can build off of. And, and as I was preparing this message, as I was looking for the wisdom from the Bible, I felt like God taught me something and convicted me of something that I want to share with you this morning. 
A lot of times when I think of investing, I think, oh, that's what I do when I set aside something in savings and and allow it to grow and I diversify and I do those and, and that's what investing is. But what I actually learned is that healthy, wealthy people don't just invest when they save. They also invest when they give. See, we are created in the image of a giving God. That's why I think it doesn't matter if you love Jesus or not, it just feels good to give. You can talk to a non-believer and they're giving to charities and they're doing it. Why? Because it feels good to give. Why? Because we are creating the image of a giving God. You don't have to guilt people into giving. We just want to give to an organization that won't waste our gift. And, and so, it, but, but it's important to give. And healthy, wealthy people look at the way in which they give and where they give, even that as an investment. That we, we want to give to organizations that have grateful hearts, that have broken hearts. We don't want to just give to a need. We want to give to people who spend their energy meeting needs. And while we know that businesses and nest eggs don't go to heaven, there is actually one earthly organization that's still standing when Jesus returns, when everything else is wiped away. According to Revelation chapter 21, the bride of Christ is still standing. Which means that anything we invest, time, money, resources, energy, into the church, into the bride of Christ, we get to reap the rewards for eternity. It's the only organization that's still standing when Jesus comes back. Healthy, wealthy people don't just invest when they save, when they give. They invest also when they live. They take the portions they used to live off of them. And even that, they look at it as an investment. Somebody uh, shared with me recently that success, I like this definition, success is loving the life you get to live. I like that. You see, most of us will run out of time before we run out of money. And so will we use the money, the blessing, the extra, even what God has given us to live off of, will we use that money to add meaning meaningful moments to our lives and to the lives of the people around us. When you think about life, it's really the moment after the moment that matters. What I mean is we'll have moments in life where we, you know, we hit financial goals, where we get achievements, where we get awards, where great things happen in our life. And that's a great moment. But what really matters is the moment after that moment. Who do we get to share it with? Who do we get to pour into those blessings that we've just received? How do we get to create meaning? And that meaning is created in the moment after the moment. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, I want you to invest what I've given you in life to do two things at the end of the day, to love God and to love the people I've placed around you. He sums it up that a life following me is, is spent loving God and loving people around us. And so healthy, wealthy people take even the life they've been given, even the money they've been given to live off of, and invest it in ways to create meaningful moments for others. This Bible right here, I was given, it was given to me by my parents on my 10th birthday. At age nine, I decided to make Jesus Lord and Savior of my life, and And my parents had spent 10 years pouring into me what God had poured into them, 
shared that with me, and I decided to make my own decision at age nine. And so at age 10, they gave me a Bible to, so I could continue to grow and mature in that faith. And it was several years later that I was handed this Bible. This is my grandfather's Bible. My grandfather was not a wealthy man by any means. In fact, he took the, a lot of the resources and finances he was given and he used it to plant churches all throughout the United States, many of which are still meeting, stand meeting this morning and growing and sharing Christ and reaching their communities. And not only did he take what was given to invest into churches and, and to do that, but he, he went ahead and he passed that on to his children who passed it on to me and the other grandchildren. And it was years later that I was handed this Bible. This is my great-grandfather's Bible. A man who we'd consider poor. But he decided to give his life to Jesus. And you can read his journey through the scribbles on the pages of this Bible. And he took what Jesus had poured into him over the years, and he poured it into his son, who went and took that and planted churches, who passed it on to his children, who ministered in many of those churches, who have passed it on to the grandchildren and since and on. It doesn't take much. You see, we're all rich. We've all got at least a little more than we need right now. And it doesn't take much to take that little and invest it in a way where it can create more quickly and multiply beyond us. Especially if you invested in a life with Jesus Christ. And the question is, if, if we're rich, if we've all been given at least a little bit of more, what will we do with the extra? Will we invest it in how we save? Will we invest it in the ways we give? And will we invest it, most importantly, in the way we decide to live out these days we've been given? And how we decide to answer that question today won't just affect our life tomorrow, but it'll affect the generation after us and the generation after that and the generation beyond. I want to challenge you to trust in the giver of all things to take what he's given, whether a lot or a little, and invest it. Let's pray. Father God, you are a giving God and we are a blessed people. Lord, forgive us when we don't see it. Lord, remind us when we don't see it. And Lord, we don't just want to be a people who, who are given things. We want to be a people who give things who give and pass on blessings in your economy of blessings. Lord, we want to invest in our savings. We want to invest in our giving, but we want to also invest our lives. And Lord, I pray, I pray that if there's anyone in this room or online that has never made the decision to fully invest their life into a life under the Lordship and saving grace of Jesus Christ, God, that Lord, you would place that burden upon their heart today. And Lord, for many of us who have made that decision, Lord, use us. Use us as vessels to distribute your blessing 
to give you all the glory, to truly be a light in this world. Use us this month, this week, today, God. Show us where you want us to invest our lives. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed. Have a great day.